0: so here we are uh matt is not here he's uh still on dad leave this is part of our time travel segment because I still think there is an episode... Yeah, we still have one episode in the can that's coming out next week that is from before Baby exists. But we will be writing... The, the timeline will fix itself after that, and we will be all be back in the same time stream. I'm here with uh, Root today. Um, say hi, Root. Hi, Root. I mean, and, uh, hi. Nice. Um, so... So this is a bonus episode today that we're throwing your way. We still have a we have a Galactic Council episode that me and Root are going to record in just a little bit, but you won't be hearing that for another couple days. Um, and it is a Ti Lore episode. I'm really excited about doing it. But Root, um, you actually recorded. A, when did you record these? It was. It's been like a, a minute, right?
1: It's yeah. Um, I was just checking my notes uh, about these and. This was recorded in April. It's been oh, okay. a while.
0: Cool. So, but so this is like in the the tournament is like in full swing. It, it, does that kind of take a so the, so? Okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So what happened is that Root um, recorded for us some conversations with uh, prominent community members. We're kind of calling this, uh, I believe you're calling it, the fireside chats. Um, yeah. And we are gonna kind of periodically drop these into the feed, um, not necessarily to replace episodes, but to kind of like instead of being like, "Hey, there's a late episode, so you just get nothing," um, I think these are meant to like kind of satiate, satiate. There we go. um, The community while we get uh, the next episode ready to go. Um, So this Mm -hmm. first one is with Magi, correct?
1: With it's with Magi. Uh, He was kind of the inspiration for this whole thing to begin with. So it just felt necessary to start with him.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. Um, I'm going to do the rundown real quick, and then we will get right into the episode proper. Um, this is all just, all just business uh, at the top, and then we will toss it over to Root and Magi. Um, but I just want to throw out some quick Patreon stuff. I want to thank uh, all the supporters of our Patreon in general, and in particular... Um, Hunter Donaldson fan club, you guys have a poll um, out. Uh, you have two options. Um, I play a game of Twilight Imperium where everyone plays as the Ghost of Krius, uh, which is the one with the, that it will win. And then the other one is we do the Twilight Imperium RPG two, um, which that would also be really fun and really cool. So I, I mean,
1: I would I would like to throw my support behind that option, even though it would necessitate a lot of work from me. Yes. I, think it would be a lot of fun yeah and we would
0: we would that one would be a cool one because we would uh work on getting uh some guests um we'd probably try and get uh steven again which would be hilarious um so yeah that that one would be super fun um the other uh, option for you guys is we have a new poll for the Galactic Council episode for next month. Uh, this is a first round poll, so you have five options. You can vote as, on, on as many as you want. Um, first option is Rules Quiz Extravaganza. I like that option from the last one, want to keep it. Uh, this Imperium Life 5. Uh, third option is a win making round table uh there's a dune lore discussion i'll be done with the dune book by then um, and i would be down to talk about the board game lore and also just the book itself um and then the fifth option uh this one's interesting we're calling this partners in ti actually uh root came up with the title um i just want to get have an episode where we get people's partners um romantic partners that is uh to talk about their experience with twilight imperium like kind of through another person so we would definitely hit up like you know like matt's wife uh my girlfriend um and probably some community uh people as far as their partners go uh and just kind of talk about what that is like um i also want to throw out my twitch schedule real quick um I will be playing Root uh, on Thursdays. Uh, every Thursday, I play Root. Uh, I'm going to play. I'm going to try and play one game at noon and one game at six. I don't always succeed in getting a group together for that. And if you want to play Root with me, hit me up, please. Um, and then on Sunday uh, at noon, I'm going to p- try and play some Ti4. So if you're in the Goodian Brotherhood, look out uh, for me to kind of recruit some people for that. Um, those times are all Pacific. Um, as far as YouTube goes this week, I'm going to be putting out a game I played recently of the Tactic Blue Factions Pack um, to help kind of promote uh, Patience to Virtue has a um, tournament that's coming up. Uh, I believe signups have been open for a minute, so they might actually be full at this point. Um, but you should definitely look into the Discord to see that. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, I wanted to say this. So there's kind of a lot of... Uh, There's kind of been a lot of scuttlebutt over this, like uh, there was like this, like supposed maybe or maybe not uh, leaked, uh, like uh, advertisement for uh, an expansion to the game. Um, And I have, I don't really have any, I don't really have any time to like speculate on that. But I will say this. Um, I am going to, for sure, be watching the Fantasy Flight in-flight report this year, which happens on July 29th? Yes. Yes. Correct. Um, and I believe it starts at 7 o'clock Central Time, which would be 5 o'clock Pacific. Uh, I'm going to watch that, and I'm probably going to uh, broadcast myself watching it on Twitch. So if you want to watch it along with me. Um, and I bet Matt and probably some other people i'm I'm sure if uh, if you're available at that time, you can totally hang out with us uh, while we all just kind of watch yeah. the in-flight report uh, because obviously uh, the only way to confirm that any of that is real or at least when they would announce something like that would be at the in-flight report. So I would pay attention to it uh, this year to and hopefully our uh, hopefully our hearts are not crushed and that there is uh, something to this all that would be great. Um, okay, so there we go. That's all the stuff. Let's go ahead and turn it over to the Fireside Chats.
1: Welcome to Space Cats, Peace Turtles, Fireside Chats. Myself and a guest from the SCPT community will discuss Twilight Imperium, board gaming, and strategy. Grab your favorite drink in a Snuggie and settle in. I'm your host, Alec Keeler. Let's get started. Paul, thank you for being on our first show, and suffering through my failures and figuring out how to make this work. <laughs> um, once again, introduce yourself to us for anyone who doesn't know you. Uh, my name's Paul Brown,
2: aka Magi. Um, I'm 30 years old, live in Cincinnati, software developer by trade, and I am obsessed with
1: Man, unfortunately, I think you cut out at the end of that, but I'm pretty sure you said you're obsessed with Twilight Imperium. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Alright, fantastic. Me too, that's why we're both here. Uh, my first question for you, Paul, to get us started is, what is your favorite board game that isn't Twilight Imperium, and why?
2: Um, a very close second is Board Game Eclipse. Um, it was the first board game that I got really obsessed with, and uh, I played it at Gen Con and tournaments, and I I played it online on Tip Top Simulator every day, like I've done with TI, but that was before I even knew TI existed, and uh, a battle raged in me for a good year, back and forth, back and forth. No, this one's better, that one's better, but
1: uh, TI won in the end, so. Yeah, I, I remember last year at Gen Con, you and I had a chance to meet, finally, and uh, at Gen Con, there are a bunch of board game tournaments. There's one for Eclipse, which you, I believe, have won in the past. And there's one for Twilight Imperium, which you had also won in the past. And I think they were like happening at the same time. And you had to choose this year which one to do. And you chose Twilight Imperium.
2: Yeah, I, have, I haven't won uh, a TI tournament yet. I've been a mm-hmm. finalist. But I, I did in 2018 win Eclipse. Um, mm-hmm. And the qualifier games are at different times. But the finals for both are at the same exact time, and twenty nineteen aside, because I got into the finals for both. I, one. I said, "Well, I won Eclipse Destiny, so I'll go for Ti." Yep,
1: yeah. Ti is great, and we're we're happy to have you. Um, what is what's like the biggest similarity between Twilight Imperium and Eclipse?
2: I would say that the more the biggest similarity to me is the more wealth you have, the more power. Wealth, wealth, and having lots of trade goods, lots of tokens, all that. And mm-hmm. TI doesn't directly mean you're going to win, but if I've got five dreadnoughts and you have one carrier, I'm, I've got a real advantage.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wealth definitely translates to power in a lot of a lot of different ways. All right, next question for you, Paul. What attracts you the most to the board gaming hobby, kind of in general? Um, For me, it's it's that it's a lot more social than video
2: gaming. Um, I used to play like World of Warcraft, MMOs, and you have a lot of social interaction in that and make friends online, but nothing beats face to face. The reason I got into board gaming was because I had gotten kind of tired of not just the same old genres of of video game, you know, Call of Duty 17, mm-hmm. but also because it was a way that I could do some geeky activity with people in person,
1: really interact. So how have you found the differences between like playing a board game in person versus Playing on tabletop simulator. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. Um, when you can't see a
2: person's face, you can't as nearly as easily tell when they're lying. You right. can't tell when they're upset. Maybe until their voice gets louder. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't uh, you can't gauge quite as well if you can take advantage of them and kind of use them for your own purposes
1: yeah uh one of those things you listed off there being able to tell whether or not somebody's upset is such a big thing because there yeah. are a lot of different personality types that play board games and one of the biggest yeah. things in my mind is that like playing a board game should be fun for everyone so if somebody's upset it's important to know that so that you can you know figure out how to bring everybody back to the same level and yeah you're right it is much harder to tell if that's going on when you're playing online yeah is it when you, when you can't...
2: I have that in my meetings at work. Spaces. They'll make a confused face and you don't know they're confused and
1: you don't know how to react when you hear that pause. Switching gears a little bit, if you had to kind of make up a category for yourself as a player, what kind of player are you?
2: I would say... I, I think of like uh, MOBAs I, I think of myself as a bruiser, I guess. I don't like having to depend on others, and I'm ready to fight if I have to. I don't want to. Okay. But I'm not gonna take anything from anybody. I like
1: personally. that analogy a lot, actually. And then, and yeah, I think that fits that fits you pretty well. I think the factions I play in Ti, I would call bruiser. Yeah, I like I like that answer. I'm a fan of that. <laughs> um, what? Would you say is the biggest challenge that you typically face in a normal game of Twilight Imperium?
2: My biggest challenge is identifying when is the right when it when's the right moment to take a big risk. Um, I'm pretty risk adverse. A lot of times, I'll sit back and just wait and and hope that things just kind of fall into my lap. But there are plenty of games where you're going to have a moment where you go if I don't if I don't try this I might not win. um
1: yeah wow I identify with that so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> I I I also hate taking risks and I I I'm I'm always so careful to try to not do something that's going to Like cost me the game because it pisses someone off, but sometimes you just have to have to do that, and it is hard to know when the right moment is for something like that. Sometimes you'll have these situations where you're like, I can throw everything at them from my home system
2: and leave my home system totally open, and if nobody takes my home, I'll win. But I might lose my home system, and then my game's over. Yeah, and those those moments always, I, I feel like I tend to err on the side of nah. I'll just hope. I somehow win. <laughs> initiative order.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get a lucky secret objective draw or something like that, and I won't have to make this crazy play, right? Yeah. Um, here's a probably a little bit of a bigger question: How do you approach planning out a round? Like as you, as the game starts, maybe the maybe round one or round two. How do you, how do you plan ahead, or do you just kind of wing it? Yeah, I I feel like I plan
2: a round out, but I also kind of plan multiple rounds out. Uh, For example, if I see like two technologies and two colors, and that comes up right at the start of the game, it's one of the objectives. I have one tech, I know, okay, if I research a tech every round, I'll have that in round. Definitely score that if I research a tech every single round. So what's the other objective? Maybe it's spend three command tokens. Okay, I didn't get leadership. So I'm going to take politics this round, have a normal expansion, and then use the speaker to round two, take leadership so that I can three, score the two and two mm-hmm. Um Planning on an actual round, I would say, it's just a matter of knowing what secondaries you really, really need to do. It's You always want to do, you know, you always want to do the secondary politics and get action cards. You always want to do construction to get structure on the board but it's really about getting down to the bare bones what is the bare minimum i need to do in order to expand
1: and so you mentioned that some things are things that you always want to do and you've mentioned you've talked a little bit about tailoring your strategy to the objectives that come up which do you think is more important being flexible to what happens and what objectives there are or having like a set plan that you know works? Um,
2: I would definitely say flexible. Um, you don't know what kind of like, just just in objectives, you don't know if it's gonna be an area control, you don't know if it's gonna be a spending objective, you don't know if it's a tech objective. Um, it's, I think that's why I like trade so much. I like piling up trade goods, because mm-hmm. you can do anything with trade goods. Yeah. You, can, you can buy your way into points, you can, purchase the research agreement off Jonar. you can rent planets from everyone um, being flexible I think is more important I like to have for some factions I like to have like a round one build order sometimes sure but even that even that can flex you go oh well I need to get next to this guy and trade with him so I'm going to change that planet
1: right it's not going to fly so Paul the the reason that this show exists is because uh, two maybe three weeks ago, you started talking in the Discord channels about having discovered Day Nine's old Starcraft content, <laughs> and yeah. it reminded me of how much I loved that show and how interesting it was and how how cool it was to hear someone else talk about strategy in such like a deep way that that was like approachable you know like i don't i don't know what Mm -hmm. it is about day nine he's just he's just really good at what he does and he's very smart and i learned a lot about starcraft and about strategy gaming in general from him um but i thought it would be so cool to be able to talk about board gaming strategy with people and so that was kind of Mm -hmm. the genesis of this this show um So speaking of day nine, one of the things that I remember was a big part of what he taught other players and what he did himself was to have, go into a game with a plan, with a build, know exactly what you're going to do and just execute it. No matter what happens, just do the thing. And if it doesn't work, identify why it's not working and make some tweaks and then just keep practicing. Is that something that you've started doing when playing Twilight Imperium?
2: Yeah, that's actually, that's why I started watching his content. That's how I discovered it. Is I was trying to the, find some similarities between StarCraft and T.I., see if there was any. And I noticed there's timing. That's a that's a big similarity. Um, knowing, knowing when things should happen, when things are going to happen, you know, when is someone going to take Mechatol? Well, probably round two. When you know that, you know that if you want Mechatol, you need to get there first. Mm-hmm. Um when when you're expanding and you need to think, I need to have all of my planets acquired by the end of round two, roughly. You need to plan ahead, not just where you're moving your carriers, the tree, but mm-hmm. to make sure that you have enough that you're gonna be able to fill out your size. You know. having having a plan
1: I mean I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the timing thing, right? Like you you mentioned that okay. it's hard to have a plan when you need to be flexible because of objectives. So you, you always kind of have to be able to swing with what comes out. But knowing the timing of things, I think you're right, is super important so that you can, like, there are some things that you need to, that, that are constants that yeah, you need like, to work around. Yeah, like,
2: I mean, he, I haven't watched all of his content yet, but he talks about, like, if you're playing Protoss before gating, this is like the, within the 10 second window you should be done with that, you know? Right, yeah. Um, if, you're playing, if you're playing, for me, if you're playing Necro, round three, you should be ready to start being aggressive. Be ready to start taking planets from other players or just getting in their way, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, don't try and rush it. Don't try and go early because you're not going to be ready and don't go late because it's going to be too late. I think i got that down for some factions, but for others, it can be a challenge.
1: Yeah, um, I think that for a long time, uh, I I guess long time is kind of relative since TI4 is not really that old, but for quite a while when TI4 came out, the Necrovirus were kind of seen as a middling faction, not really all that good, um, and in fact frequently weak because there's such a tough meta against them. And then you started playing them a lot, and you were like, screw that, that's not that's not what the necrovirus is about. The necrovirus is freaking great. And I'm going to show all of you losers how great this is. Uh, (laughs) Tell me about the process that you went through with that whole like necro journey. Um,
2: So for me, there's really, there's two things I think you need to do to kind of, I think Matt used the term unlock. You need to first, the hardest step is forget all the preconceptions, forget all of the old ideas you know, ev- everything everybody tells you, say, no, I'm just, I'm going to set that aside. And then the second we- second step is you've just got to come up with lots of different ideas, lots of theory crafting, and just play a lot and test. Um, you know, and for Necro, it was maybe they don't need to be hyper-aggressive. Maybe that's just
1: something everybody says, and that's not really true. Mm-hmm. And then that's how everybody plays it, and that's how it- such a negative meta develops yeah and you can actually i think you can
2: if if you're a thematic player i think you can change your mindset by kind of thinking about a faction in a different thematic way so for like necro it wasn't about oh maybe it's an unstoppable killing machine that just throws itself at everybody maybe it's a very thoughtful precise patient killing machine (laughs) it's gonna take its time and and prepare and wait for the right moment, you know? And maybe just thinking of thinking thematically about a faction differently can change the way you actually play the faction. Huh.
1: Interesting. Do you ever find... Uh, some players, especially I find in person, not so much online, but some players like to kind of role-play the faction that they're playing to a certain extent. Do you ever do that? Oh, gosh. I, I feel... I feel like a real geek if I try to role play. Uh,
2: I I I love that people get into it, but I don't know. I don't that's not really me.
1: That that's kind of separate I love from playing, like the theme for you.
2: Yeah. I I love the different flavors. I love the the way mechanisms can tie into the theme, but no, I'm not really a
1: role player like that. <laughs> that's fine. It it especially if you're not used to doing stuff like that, it can feel certain, like extremely uncomfortable. Um, And and I, I feel like, so my, my in-person games have always been with people that I've also played D and D with. So I think that that has kind of uh, had an impact on that for me. (laughs) Like, you know, these people are used to role playing in games. So it's an easy transition for them to be like, Oh, I'm playing the Hakan. So I'm going to be this, you know, super stereotypical, trading lion who's selling dust and drugs and whatever else you know
2: yeah we'll play that up Uh, i mean in in general i'm the kind of player i don't want to draw attention to myself anyway yeah i kind of want to do my thing and only speak up when it's important Mm -hmm. because i think if you talk a lot then people don't value what you're saying as much so i generally try to just not keep the attention on me anyway because Right. If you're not even looking at me, you're not really paying attention to what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so that that's an awesome little segue into the tournament game that you played a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> the semi-finals game in which you and Ginger and several other players faced off, and I think a lot of people were kind of expecting it to be you or Ginger, and for that to be kind of a big clash. Did you I know you practiced for that game. Did you do anything special to prepare for that, for that semifinals game?
2: Yeah. When, whenever I practice for a, a tournament game, I tend to try and play with players that are going to be in my game. Not really to see what kind of factions they play or what slice they pick, but just to see what kind of a player they are. You know, um, I also played with Connor. Mm-hmm. And he pushed really aggressively on me and I threatened to keep the speaker to t- take politics around and keep the speaker to his left and saw how he would react to that. Um, just, just poke and prod him a little bit, right. <laughs> seeing what they do. Um, <laughs> I know, I know some people were saying I was throwing games. I wasn't really throwing games, but I wasn't trying too hard. Gotcha. Um, Ginger definitely legitimately won those games.
1: Uh, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't
2: You weren't throwing games, you, you weren't
1: playing like this huge long con Yeah <laughs> um,
2: Playing Sorrel in that game I very much even more than ever do not want people looking at me or paying attention to me
1: mm-hmm.
2: or thinking about what I'm doing or thinking I've got some sneaky plan you know, Sure. and I tried to play very nice that whole game just yeah, you did. Because as you said, Carl, I don't want to fight. I want I want to sit there and bide my time and wait for the right.
1: Yeah, I I, I would have found it very hard to be as quiet and reserved as as you were in that game in particular, because uh, there was a lot of like meta talk going on and a lot of discussion and Ginger, for a lot of the game, had some pretty hefty verbal sway <laughs> over what was going on. Uh, yeah. Do you think that I mean
2: as you saw it as as you saw it was I'm okay with them having control of the board because if I outstall them I get the last say. Mhm. So it doesn't matter what they say or do.
1: For sure. Do you think that the outcome would have been different if you'd been more outspoken or if somebody else had been more outspoken to kind of fight against Ginger's meta? earlier in the game?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, for me, for my game, I had a plan, and I think speaking up, at least if I had spoke up, all it would have done is brought more attention to me and what my potential path would have been, and it would have hurt my game. I didn't really care what was going on at the table. I assumed in the end, I would get the last say, I would get the last final moves, and that would that's what would decide the, the game and I blundered on the whole diplo pick when you picked it.
1: Gotcha. prevented so, me from stealing the shards. So would, would you say then that having just a like good, solid, consistent, smart play is, like tactically and strategically is better than being the type of person who controls the meta?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, I mean for me anyway, the way I play is I play I play the strategy game, and negotiating and politics is all sugar. I mean, it's a nice to have. I definitely push for it, but I don't want to ever have to depend on that. So mm-hmm. I'd rather have a solid game. You know, sure. uh, an example in that game is when I negotiated with Shua to take those two cultural planets, to score four planets, same trait. Yep. Um, I use that as a tool to get that out of the way, but. If he said no, I could have fallen back on spending five trade goods. Right. So I had I had that at least that backup plan where I don't have to depend on anybody. Um, but I will try and play, play the table a little bit to score the points I need to get ahead. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to ever have to depend on that. I think you should be able to be independent
1: and and use all of that as just a way to get more ahead and more. Yeah, that that reminds me a lot about a concept that Day9 has talked about before in in his old videos, and I don't know if you came across this at all in the time you've spent watching his videos, but something that he said at least once that stuck with me for a very long time was that a build, a StarCraft build order should be good enough to win the game even if your opponent can see everything you're doing at all times. Do you think that something like yeah. that applies to TI? Absolutely. Uh, ultimately, you I mean, the,
2: the best wins for me are the kind of games where you have the speaker. All you got to do is take Imperial. You got to sabotage in hand so they can't public disgrace you. And everybody goes, oh, he's got it. There's no yeah. way to stop him. Yep. You know? if, if you can pull that off, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what people say or do. Mm-hmm. You've you've got the plan and you executed it properly
1: and, and you will win that. Yeah, I, I love that. that. That's always been kind of a thing that I try to apply to any sort of strategy game that I'm playing. Like I, I want my plan to be good enough that it doesn't matter if my opponent knows exactly what I'm going to do. There's just nothing they can do to stop it by the time they realize what's about to happen. Right. Even
2: but uh, yeah, and it and it's great when you're in that situation where even like they can see what's happening and you go, doesn't matter. Doesn't <laughs> matter you can't do anything about it. Come at me.
1: Yeah. Because uh, then
2: any, any amount of, of distraction that you can pull off or any amount of just not pulling their attention is just
1: more and more beneficial. Right, yeah, exactly, and and that was kind of something that I did when I played diplomacy a lot back in like high school. Is one of like my greatest assets was distracting people and getting you know other people to fight each other because and this applies to TI really well too. The more your opponents are just doing stuff to each other and and leaving you alone, it doesn't it doesn't even matter. They don't you don't even need them to help you directly. Just them. Doing the wrong thing is a huge help to you. Right. If they're squabbling amongst each other, yeah, that's that's
2: every time two people are fighting, they're pushing themselves down. Yep. And the yep. other four people are staying where they're at, and yep. they're and the net it's a net positive.
1: Yep. And just, so. just stoke those flames now and then. You know, make sure that that little argument keeps going. Make sure you remind somebody that last round that player took that planet or sabotaged your action <laughs> card or whatever. Like just keep that distraction going and it's it's always yeah it's always good um so i know that for a while you tried to work a lot with the sardak nor and i think more recently a lot more with the Arbrek. um it, it seems like you enjoy taking these factions that people underestimate and try to uh, Show people their real potential. Um, what right. did you What did you find with, in that process with the Sardacnor? Um, well, there's really two things about
2: a faction that's going to determine whether it's good or bad. There's what it starts with, and there's how much value can it gain out of its abilities. And unfortunately, Sardac has very little. They have you know, a decent start, but they're lacking the fighters to be able to use their faction power. And they start with no tech, and even one tech has a very high value. So their start's bad, and winning combat's a little better. It's really hard to pull value out of that.
1: Sure. Yeah, I've so. found that, I think, in the vast majority of my games, I have one mm-hmm. one combat that matters. And that's basically it. Right.
2: Right. I think that's why uh, a faction like Barony is actually really great, is because Munition Reserves is an ability you use once a game, but when you use it, it really, really matters.
1: Yeah. You, you know, I, I like that thought a lot, and it's funny because I, I almost never see that ability get played, and I, I love the Barony a lot, and even I have used that ability maybe twice tops. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah
2: I, I remember playing a game with uh knob where he used it on Destroyer Twos to re roll their anti fighter barrage. He just butchered Muat <laughs> In the first round of combat took out like two War of and a whole fighter screen. Oh just in god. one round of combat. I was like, Whoa, I've never never seen that before.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. I Barney is great. They're it, it's so funny, because, like, for the first half or two-thirds of the game, they can really feel, like, a very vanilla, blank, you know, faction sheet. Mm-hmm. But when they get turned on and when the heat is there, they can really show up hard. Right. Yeah. Um, so so you think that, in general, Sardak Nor deserves its place at or near the bottom of the the Yes, Yeah, house? I...
2: I just, I don't see a way, even if a faction has that bad start, um, and and the value of a tech, single tech is so high, starting with no tech is awful. Right. There's just no, there's no way to be independent and recover. You really have to depend on charity on it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think, especially not starting with any fighters, like, how do you win combat, space combat, when so we don't have fighters?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's very easy for someone to just send a cruiser at one of your carriers, and then, you know, it's over. Right. <laughs> um, so I know you've also been playing some Arborek lately. Um, mm-hmm. How's that process gone? Uh,
2: I've been theorycrafting ideas for them for months. Arborek is my second favorite faction, right Right below uh, Mechro. And I think while they have a bad start, I believe their faction powers, their production, um, can make up. for. I really want to believe, um, I need to play them another 20 times to try out my ideas, but I think people have been thinking all the wrong ideas about them. I think people are obsessed with Sarween tools Mm -hmm. and I don't want to research Sarween tools. I don't think it's that great for a couple of reasons. Um, I think the the kind of the culture of them that that the theme of them, I think people are just thinking a different the wrong way about Arbrek, and people argue with you and say, "Well, what you're doing now isn't working. Arbrek doesn't win games, so right. you got to try something new."
1: So I I have seen a little bit of your discussion about Sarween tools on the Discord, but can you give us like a, a t l d r of why you think the uh that, that tech in particular is not worthwhile for the arbrek.
2: yeah so so I, I i'll try to be brief i won't spend like half an hour talking about this but uh my idea is simply that people get obsessed with that and they activate systems and they go oh free stuff well you're spending a command token to gain one resource worth of stuff that in my mind is net loss so just like everybody else, you should only be producing once around. You know, sure. you spend one token, produce all the units you need. And when as soon as you start doing that, you realize, oh, I'm using Star Wing tools like once around. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I'm attacking another player and I'm getting an actual free resource for the stuff, I'd rather have bought a tech that's going to enable me to get to a system that I can attack sure. or that's going to let me face battle or even help me the system once they get there so i think it's just it's it's very easy for people to go oh this is easy to understand right and easy to use that doesn't mean it's good
1: yeah i i think i agree i, th- I think it's funny because when i first saw this discussion going on a discord i i was kind of on the fence or maybe didn't agree at all um but i think that i've i've come around to your side on this i th- i agree that like a, a a big build should really only happen once around, and I I think that you're right. The incidental building off of an activation where you're like trying to take somebody's planet or attacking somebody isn't worth the uh, cost of picking up Sarween over something else that can. Help get you there, or help when when you the fight, or something something that's a little bit more important than that one extra resource. I, I mean, if you if you just think about some very simple math, if you acquire
2: one two resource planet because of a different tech that you would have otherwise you wouldn't have gotten that planet, that's two uses of star wing tools every round in equivalency. So because what... you're going to get to spend the two
1: resources on a planet every single round, right? Um, what tech path would you then recommend for Arborak where you can kind of fill that early Sarween spot with something else that helps you get to that point faster? Right, so I got
2: a, I got a couple ideas about this. Um, for me, if I'm playing any faction, I don't want my starting tech to go to waste. Um, and this, this isn't even a discussion about the the new mage, but if I've started with the red, I want to use that red on my tech path. So I would love to get something like plasma scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, plasma scoring, when you've got PDS on planets, doubles the amount of shots you fire when they land, um, or if they just move into the system, it doubles the number of shots a single Dreadnought gets to bombard with, mm-hmm. um, and then it sets you up for destroyer two. And destroyer two, I've, I've always been a big fan of the tech. Um, I think it's very economical. Yeah, I think it's. it's I think it's one resource. Yes, very much. And Arbrek is almost uniquely put in a situation where they can use it because you, you go and you take a system with some infantry, and now you can just dump destroyers there. Right. And go, oh, okay, you can come at me, but these destroyers, which are now 50% more effective in combat, mm-hmm. plus they've got really great anti-fighter barrage, you'll, you'll probably win the battle against me, but it's going to be really calm.
1: Right, and then and you know you compare just... that against getting Sarween tools and then maybe teching into cruisers or something that one extra resource right. you spend maybe building a, a cruiser instead of a destroyer. And is that, you know, that that might really not be worth the value that you're getting from it compared to a couple upgraded destroyers that are on a cheaper tech path. Yeah.
2: And I think, I think you can go with Arbrek. I think you go down gravity drive. Um, if you're producing all destroyers and cruisers, mm mm-hmm. Those are all two movement ships. All you need now is your carriers to move to, and you really open a lot of doors. And as soon as any player at the table within range leaves a couple planets open, you swoop in, you grab them, you hold on to them. Yep. And now you're getting three, four, five resources extra around mm-hmm. every single round. Like that's that's way bigger than one resource one time from Sarween
1: Tool. Yeah. And. The more I play Ti and another favorite faction of mine is Mentak, and the more mm-hmm. I play with cruisers, the less I like them um, as like mm-hmm. a primary substance of your fleet. I just think that while it's cool to be able to move three and like plop a dude on a planet into kind of an unexpected place, it just you just get crushed immediately afterwards. Like cruiser, like f- three oh, or four it... cruisers just don't stand up to Two dreadnoughts and a carrier with two or three or four fighters. You know? Right. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah, I it's think either, I think it's either like, I think it's either
2: big, chunky plastic with consistent chance to hit that you can be like, I'm only going to be in what, maybe one battle, but I'm definitely going to win it. Or it's the whole opposite end where you say, I'm just going to swarm lots of cheap, ineffective units mm-hmm. and I'll win by the number. And cruisers are kind of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish cruisers were like somehow a little bit better, but they, they really are just better as a support thing. Like having one mixed into your fleet to, you know, each each fleet right. I think is fine. If you have upgraded cruisers, what, what is that really getting you? You can send three cruisers maybe all the way across the board and then they just die in the next round at the latest, you know? Yeah.
2: I think your best bet with cruisers is just to outstall them.
1: Mm -hmm. Swoop in and nab a planet for the point when no one can stop. Sure, yeah, that almost wraps up all of the like meaty questions that I wanted to ask. Is there like anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't brought up? Um, I mean, I could (laughs) a lot about Arbrek. All right, yeah, tell Uh... us more about (laughs) Arbrek.
2: Um, so, one of uh, some of the ideas, I, I actually coined a term for the not a, the idea that you shouldn't activate uh, a bunch of systems for our break. I call it explicit production seduction. Uh, explicit production is when you are specifically spinning command token to produce the unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fifteen of the seventeen factions of the game do this all the time. You do it once around. You say, "Oh, I got my space dock." I'm going to activate it. I'm going to... Um, and Sarwing Tools just seduces you into lots of explicit protection. Uh, maybe okay. putting a name to it. Will... Sure. Uh, sure. Another another idea I had was what I'd call the rule of two, and that is simply that you don't need more than two infantry per really don't. Um, I see a lot of players when they play Arbrecht, stack four six eight infantry on a
1: planet yes but uh,
2: i just think you're over committing yep you know 100 percent. especially with something like FIBA, you know it returns one resource and one influence around but you spend a command token and two resources to dunk a bunch of infantry on it it's you've already put more into it than you're going to get out of it through the course of the whole game yeah sometimes
1: yeah, so, I, I agree. Okay. I, I see that mistake with people a lot. People just spend the first three or four rounds repeatedly building up ground forces all over the place, and then they get dunked on in the last couple of rounds because they don't have a fleet. Right. right. I very
2: much want to see Arborek players producing ships with their infantry just as much as they do other infantry. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to keep your infantry count up, but I've heard a lot of times people say, oh, well, Latonic Warrior Two, you don't really need that much production. I think you do because I think you want to simultaneously produce infantry because they're cheap sure. and ships at the same time. You so. want to be able to actually win the space battles so that you get to the ground combats.
1: Mm-hmm. So so we've talked about going red for Destroyer 2 and then going blue for Carrier 2 and Grav Drive, or maybe just Grav Drive. <laughs> once, once you Carrier have... 2 would be great. Sure. So once you have two red and two blue... Do you go green and try to get Latani two, or do you go carrier two, or where where does your tech path go from there? I think
2: I think you still need you still need to be working on two and two colors and two unit upgrades. Hope that you have the right tech skip to get the third unit upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not have the time to get three unit upgrades like everybody else, but I'm hoping that you're going to catch up in the planet control. Objectives. Okay. Um, and I think when it comes to like getting some green or whatever, you just kind of have to pick two colors at the start of the game. It's the kind of decision you have to make at the start, based on your neighbors, um, based on what tech skips you might have in your slice. It's something you're gonna have to decide ahead. of. Gotcha. Like I know it's not a it's not a common uh, color combination, but mm-hmm. red green might be the path to go start of the game and then you just maybe you rush down green first sure. get a bunch of destroyers on the table and then when you fill out red you get destroyed too. now all of a sudden they're all they're all a lot stronger
1: so i i, f- I feel like then that maybe the best plan would be if you're near a green skip go blue blue and mm-hmm. get the green skip or if you're near a blue skip go green green and get the blue skip do you think that's reasonable? Yeah, that
2: kinda makes of, that kinda of makes sense. I have I
1: I really want to
2: experiment with uh bioplasmosis more. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. Um so if I had a green skip, I'd very much want to just go green and green skip into it. But uh I don't know, there's still a lot of room for experimentation. Uh whereas in the past when you always got SARWAN tools and you always got PDS two, you never even really thought about these kind of things. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna play them a lot more and try this stuff out because I think I think we can find alternatives.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think I think yeah. you're right. I think that there's definitely some space for Arbrook to change how they're played and, and hopefully see a bigger win rate. Right. What what with with blue green, if you're going blue green,
2: that's an optimal route. I don't know that you even need to use the skip because you go two green, two blue, carrier two, fighter two, infantry two.
1: Mm.
2: And you spam fighters up.
1: So that's that's seven techs, which feels kind of like a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest challenge right now. Um, when I go into playing Arbreck, I'm assuming I'm not going to be able to research a tech round one. Right, yeah. And if you think about the tech clock, you know, if you want to have three unit upgrades available by round five when the first phase two objective was revealed, you're, you're probably not going to be able to do that.
1: Right. So are you so. going to like prioritize politics round one so that you can pick up tech round two and double tech? No, I think, I think the the solution is just
2: ignore the three unit upgrades. Cause it is only one of the 10 phase two objectives mm-hmm. and just focus on planet control. Sure.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that Arbreck maybe maybe yeah 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 I think Arbreck has the potential to be one of the better factions at at those planet control stage twos. Right. Conquer the
2: weak is, I think, in my opinion, the easiest phase two planet control objective. Yeah. And if you can consistently conquer someone every round, it's the same as just getting through upgrades. Statistically speaking, it's it's one of the ten phase two objectives. Right. And if the two, three unit rates does come out, then maybe you go, okay, well, I'm going to take tech and I'm going to get it and hope that nobody wins this round and I can mm-hmm. pull it off. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult problem to solve.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's also not really that much different than the problems that most other factions have. Like even good factions, except maybe. Jolnar and Soul have the same problems mm-hmm. with other objectives, right? Like some right. some of them might be better suited to getting those tech objectives very easily, but just aren't really going to be any good at planet control at all.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, hey, I I actually don't like playing Jolnar for that reason. I don't like having to deal with planet control objectives as playing Jolnar. Yeah. Because spending objectives you can you can accomplish spending objectives just by piling up trade goods. Mm-hmm. And you can get the tech ones just by prioritizing it, but you taking planets
1: is sometimes you just can't, sometimes they're not even next to you. Yeah. Yeah. That can be really luck of the draw sometimes for sure. All right. Well, I am out of deep strategy questions. Uh, So we're gonna do some rapid fire James Lipton inside the actor's studio questions. Are you ready? okay some of these yeah. <laughs> some of these with you in particular i already know the answer to but maybe maybe i'm wrong who knows uh all right what is your favorite ti faction uh that girl. yep what is your least favorite ti faction Ooh, my least favorite i hate to just say winu
2: i've only played winu the one time though i played one three player game as winu and then never touched
1: him again <laughs> i guess that's the correct answer I was saying that. all right all right when it is uh what faction do you hate playing against the most oh extra nice. i hate playing against extra every time i want to move i get shot at. yep i feel you i feel you all right here's some some non-ti questions for the audience to get to know you paul a little bit better okay what is what is your favorite word uh yes okay i like it what is your least favorite word no
2: <laughs> nice. no that's nothing i've never thought of that before
1: perfect uh what sound or noise do you love um it's
2: i i kind of love crunching on chips when you're eating chips and hear that
1: crunching noise mm-hmm. i don't know why because it tastes good you can like taste the sound yeah. <laughs> yeah uh what sound or noise do you hate when uh skin
2: rubbing on like plastic mm. like on a handrail when you're going down the stairs it makes that
1: screeching sound sure Ugh. yeah uh what profession other than your own would you like to attempt uh the only ever
2: only other one i ever thought about is being a lawyer okay i think i think it'd be fun to be a lawyer
1: i think you would make a very interesting lawyer and I would love to see <laughs> a, a magi <laughs> lawyer t v show <laughs> um what profession would you not like to do? Mm, I don't ever want to do fast food again amen amen to that. All right, and the last one, this is a a signature question from from James Lipton. Uh, If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh,
2: The buffet is unlimited and completely free. (laughs)
1: Perfect. (laughs) Uh, All right, Paul, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. I hope you had a good time. I certainly did.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, you, you threw some curveballs
1: at me there, but uh, good. That was fun. Good. I, I'd like to. I'm glad I, I was able to make you think a little bit. <laughs> um, all right, and that's that's a wrap. All right. Uh, so, Paul, you and I kind of thought for for a little while after we finished recording and we're like you know what there are some things that we still kind of want to talk about so we're back mm-hmm. um i guess this is our errata for this episode <laughs> um I was not really part of the original plan to have that but here we are <laughs> um, so there there are a couple topics that we wanted to dive a little bit further into uh the first one is Day9. Um, yes. So for anybody who's listening who doesn't know who or what Day9 is, uh, Magi, Paul, give us a little introduction to Day9. Uh,
2: Day9, and I'm not super familiar with his content yet, but uh, he is a, was he pro StarCraft 2 player? He uh,
1: was. He, uh-huh. he was actually, he was a pro uh, StarCraft 1 and StarCraft Brood War player. Um And then, for Starcraft Two he I think only did commentary i don 't think he competed.
2: Hmm. Yeah. well, he has a lot of great content on on YouTube now about starcraft strategy, and my favorite part is the fun day Monday, the doing goofy stuff that you can still win by doing, just putting artificial restrictions
1: on yourself just to just to do it. <laughs> what what's your favorite well, fun day monday episode that you've seen uh mass queens for sure
2: that's actually <laughs> a, a a thing i did it's a thing i did long before i'd ever heard of the idea because i went wait a minute queens can heal other units mm-hmm. and they can shoot ground and, and air units what do you do if you just make a bunch of them and they only cost minerals they don't cost any gas and uh i had a while <laughs> i had a while in 1v1 where i was i was mass queening all the time
1: (laughs) i i remember playing starcraft 2 and you know one of those episodes would come out every week a fun day monday and day nine Mm -hmm. would what he would do is he would ask his viewers to like uh, apply this artificial restriction on themselves record themselves like uh, a recorded replay of themselves playing a game with this restriction and send it to him and he would just look for the most fun weirdest goofiest stuff that would come out of that and it was always so funny to like play you know some one v ones on tuesday afternoon after work after school or whatever and happen upon this person doing this totally random crazy thing and be like oh I haven't watched day Monday yet, and that is definitely what's going on yet, going on right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can even see in the chat sometimes they're like, Oh, what day is it? Yeah. Oh Monday. Oh no. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That that has happened to me had happened to me several times. It was it was great. I I love it not just sometimes people do goofy stuff and then
2: they don't win and you go, Oh, okay, that was funny. You know, and it could get old but when they do it and then they like crush you, oh, that's the best. Yeah. Cause then you're like analyzing the strategy and you're like, what is he doing? Why is he doing that?
1: Right. And, and just, just totally the, awful just the thing. And... Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, going a little deeper into day nine, uh, having watched some of the, and listened to some of the ways he talks about strategy, has there been anything in particular that you've picked up from him? that uh, you've, like, that's new to you that you're going to apply to TI?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the timing thing, there's Mm -hmm. making sure you're thinking about when things are going to, when things are going to happen, when you're going to be able to score objectives, uh, when you're going to reach a certain point where you have to start fighting over something, um, but also paying attention to your economy. Um, He very much talks about you know, you need to get your workers, you need to get your workers going, so you're getting lots of minerals, and that's like expanding is really important in StarCraft. Mm-hmm. And we we all just naturally think, oh yeah, you want to fill out your, your slice and take all your planets as quickly as possible to maximize returns on that. But I mean, just more and more about the math of it right. is is a big thing. thinking about. You know, if it's round four and I can take Tar Man because my opponent left it open, should I? Well, if it's not for an objective, it's mm-hmm. not the math doesn't make it. Yeah. Why even bother? Because right. I'm getting one or two resources out of it. Who cares?
1: Yeah. You the know, the economy like the economy of not just what resources you have currently at hand, but like the resources that you the your actions get you in the future is, is an important thing to think about that, that some people don't think about right away when they first start playing games like this right one, one of the things
2: i sometimes think about is just having units on the board having planets is almost like investing mm-hmm. you have to put some upfront amount to invest into it and then you're going to get a return over the course of the game and every time you have to spread out and spread yourself thin you might get a bigger return but you're also kind of increasing your risk sure and i yeah. think the same kind of goes like like he's always talking about expanding. If you're playing Zuri, you're always supposed to be expanding a little more than them, but you don't want to go
1: overboard, right? Because then you're not ready to defend yourself. Yeah, very true. Um, have you decided yet whether or not you're going to give yourself a TI Funday Monday and like once oh. every week or two weeks, like just pick a a dumb thing to do and just do it. <laughs> that would be great. I I would love to. There's some ideas that, like,
2: I- I've seen a guy play yin and just get all four blue tech and yeah. that. Uh, that was fun. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe being Muat and just roaming that Warsun around and trying to get to the other side of the table or something. I don't know.
1: Pretending to be the Sar. I mean, with, with the Warsaw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And just take
1: leadership every round, so you're always putting fighters and stories out, keep it alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah, I I would love to see that happen. Uh, I think that some people would be like hesitant to do stuff like that just because there's a difference between wasting 20 minutes of your time on a silly StarCraft game and wasting six yeah. plus hours on a silly TI game. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen some of those fun Monday Mondays
2: go. One of them went almost two hours though. Because the yeah. other guy would just not give up.
1: <laughs> yeah, there there were some absolutely insane episodes of that, and gosh, I'm gonna maybe have to start rewatching some of that now. <laughs> such such fond memories um, for for anyone who's like who hasn't been exposed to Day Nine and is curious about all of this hype. Um, he's he's been around for like over ten years now, making fantastic content not just for starcraft but for um other games recently the last few years he's played a lot of like hearthstone and magic um and stuff like that he's a very good magic player Um, and he just thinks about games in a really interesting and strategic way and he's always focused on being positive and being informative and that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of what kept me watching his content for so long I just I just loved the way he made content
2: yeah, I think he's really good at presenting it to you in a way that's consumable too He can be like, look, mm-hmm. I want to talk for the text ten minutes, but I promise there's a point yeah and it all you need to hear it all
1: to to get the point that's really important right he's he's a you very know, he's really good that kind of yeah, he's a very smart, very savvy human being um, so i I definitely recommend checking it out, and just... I don't know. For any of you people out there who want to maybe improve the way they think about strategy in games, watching mm-hmm. some Day 9 content is is a good way to start getting there. Um, so let's switch gears to the other thing that we wanted to talk about, which is your former love, Eclipse. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier that this was like your first love the the thing that really got you into board gaming do you remember your first few games of eclipse
2: uh yes i do i so i found i was regularly on the generic tip-top simulator discord and uh i'd, I'd gotten to play it once in person but i couldn't get anybody to play it with me uh, any of my friends and on there, I found a good dozen or so players that are like, oh, we love, we love the game. Yeah, we play it regularly. And uh, when, when uh, Zulix, the Steam user added the mod, uh, we got on there and played our very first game. And I think that's the most memorable game ever was my very first game on Tabletop Simulator because in, in Eclipse, you can have permanent alliances where you actually win or lose together. Oh,
1: nice. And
2: uh, we came down to this, this epic 2v2 game where we eliminated the fifth and sixth player, and it was just this 2v2 that went on for, I think the final round went up for like three hours or something because every <laughs> single move each player took was, was so monumental. And uh, it, it came down to counting up the points at the very end, and we were losing by half a point. Oh, my God. And I was like, there's we we gotta be missing something. Come on, there must be something we're missing. And my ally and I had opened a new wormhole to connect our our empires. That's how we formed our alliance. You have to physically be touching in order to form an alliance. And the wormhole that we opened was actually worth a point. Uh, so it turned out that the thing that, that built our alliance was also the thing that gave us the one extra point. So we we're half a point ahead and one. That's uh, awesome. I just I've always remembered that that
1: game that's fantastic um had you played any kind of strategy games uh board games or video games before eclipse
2: oh yeah i'd, I'd played plenty of video games uh very first video game on a on a computer i ever played was age of empires uh, i've played i think one through three i don't know if there are more age of empire games now i haven't even checked
1: i think there's a, fourth a lot one? of i don't know
2: really maybe I've played a lot of civilization I don't think I've played Civ 1 but I played Civ 2 all the way up to uh, 5 I'm not a fan of 6
1: sorry if there are people who like Civ 6 but <laughs> no, I'm with you I don't like I, I didn't love it either I, I, I was I, big I, want Civ for a while. I, I wanted to well I wanted to because I love
2: when I play civilization I love to uh, build a religion that's very hard to get rid of and just spread it everywhere
1: hmm
2: especially if you give it like really bad traits so it's not very good, and then you <laughs> force it on people, <laughs> so they can't get rid of it. Uh, but I guess in Civ Six you can actually win that way by converting
1: the entire world. But uh, you didn't want to. You didn't want to yeah, conquer the world with your religion. You wanted to destroy the world with your religion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so Eclipse, how did? How did playing Eclipse like, teach you? What kind of strategy did you learn from Eclipse that is generally applicable to strategy games? Right, so what, Eclipse being a 4X game,
2: a lot of 4X games, but it, it seems like Eclipse more than any other I've played, it's very much pillar be killed. It's, a, it's more about what do you have that's going to give me a reason not to crush you? you know if and it, if you have more power than another player and you can take from them and benefit from it you should do it and uh one of the things about eclipse is that unlike TI there's there's nothing you can give a more powerful player to get them not to hurt you you know in TI you could say oh don't take my planets here's some trade goods here's some promissory notes whatever don't hurt me mm-hmm. you can make it beneficial not not to crushed but in eclipse that's just not true you just have yourself and and if they have really good star systems and it's going to benefit you you've got to just take everything from them so and maybe not maybe not eliminate them just because it's not worth spending the money sure
1: (laughs) yeah I, i remember earlier we talked a little bit about whether it was better to just kind of stick to your own thing that you know works or or play the meta of, of of the game. and I can see now where your answer comes from that it's better to just play your game, stick to your you know, make a plan and stick to your plan and execute it. Um, because it, it kind of sounds like Eclipse doesn't really have as much of a meta game as TI does.
2: right. there's there's just no tools, there's no tools, there's no mechanisms in the game to really mm-hmm. do that. The one thing you have is, Diplomatic relations, and the game is actually designed that you want to break the diplomatic relations at some point, because only the last person who's broken that gets a penalty. So you want to do it early. So sure. it's it's very much just you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean you know when when playing TI, it's not doesn't mean that I don't want to cooperate. Cooperation is always better than fighting people. But sure. you at least have the tools there, whereas Eclipse. I guess I'm just, uh, I got some, some, you know, some horror stories from Eclipse of, oh, then I got eliminated in round four. So that's why I don't trust people.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, have there been other loves, other strategy board games that uh, that you've played a reasonable amount of? Oh, yeah. The, the one other one I could say, my third favorite game
2: is Imperial 2030. And I love Imperial Twenty. I, I wish I could get people I don't think online I know play.
1: Anything about that game?
2: It's it's fantastic. It's basically it looks like a war game, but it's really an investing game. Um, there's six countries: the U.S., Russia, China, India, Europe, and uh, Brazil. Okay. And you buy government bonds in the country, in like the trillions of dollars or whatever. And whoever has the most, the highest valued bond total in a country controls that country. So if you have six players and there's six countries, one player might control three of the countries because they have the, high, the most invested in them. Huh. Um, but at, any, at different points in the game, you can buy bonds in the countries and buy them out from underneath another player. And so then you control the country.
1: Have you so, and, and everybody... Sorry, have you ever played of the 18xx games i have a couple um
2: i have i have railways of the world and i bought i bought one of the 1800 games i
1: haven't even been able to get it to the table i forgot which I, one it was the the game that you describe reminds me a lot about a lot of those and i i haven't actually played any of those games i bought one once so one railway 1800 something game and i like i didn't play it for a while because i couldn't find anyone to play it with me and then i took it with hey. me uh on like vacation to play with a bunch of friends that I was meeting up with, and I opened the box and I like started breaking into it and looking at the rules, and I was like, "This is insane! The the rules <laughs> are just," and this from someone who has played a lot of Ti and other complicated games with some ridiculous right. rules that I I literally boxed it back up and gave it away. I was like, "I'm not, right. I can't, <laughs> just no." <laughs>
2: Yeah, the, the great thing about Imperial Twenty Thirty is it's not that mm-hmm. complex. There's a rondel, and when it's a country's turn, you just move a couple spaces on the rondel and pick one of the like next three available actions. Nice. There's, I think, only five different kinds of actions. So it's, and it and it has. It's not just a lot of those. I feel like a lot of those train games. Once you get ahead, if you keep playing optimally, you're going to stay ahead.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Imperial Twenty Thirty is really weird in that like. I might be really invested in the US and Europe, so I don't want them to fight, and then someone buys out Europe who has nothing invested in the US, you're know, like, hey, let's not fight. I don't want these two to fight. Like, oh, I don't care. I don't care about the US. I, you know, I don't even care about Europe. I'm, I'm actually really heavily invested in India right now. So, and so you get these weird uh, interactions
1: with that. That sounds super interesting.
2: Yeah. I always want to play it like T.I., mm-hmm. but a lot of my friends in my local game group are very like heads-down kind of players, and when I try and negotiate and talk that stuff, they just are not having it. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where they would actively do the opposite of what I'm trying to convince them is the, the <laughs> right choice just because they don't want to hear it.
1: Right. Uh, do you find that you play T.I. like Eclipse, or do you play Eclipse like T.I.?
2: Ooh, I would say... I play TI like Eclipse. I, TI kind of just supersedes Eclipse. Mm-hmm. I, I would say there's there's not really anything that TI that Eclipse has that TI doesn't. Sure. And so I kind of you know it was kind of that was the base level understanding. I I used to when I started TI, I used to break non non-binding deals constantly. <laughs> uh, the guys in the guys in Columbus called me Paul the Betrayer because. I just broke non-binding deals, just to do it, cause I'm like, oh look, I can, I can take all those planets. This is great. This is smart. Yeah. And then uh, I'd wonder why I wasn't winning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, yeah, it was a lot like that when I first started playing Diplomacy, which was my my like intro to deep games. I just yeah. I was like, well, I can backstab you, and you don't expect it, and you're doing this other thing way on the other side of the board, so I'm going to. And then I just did it all the time, I... and people stopped playing with me. <laughs>
2: I want to try Diplomacy sometime. I've heard some horror stories about games going real long, but I still love to try yeah. at least once.
1: You know, there have been a few of the TI Discord folks who've played a few games in the last couple months, and it, it mm-hmm. has been really interesting to watch those games because they, they play them so much, so differently than how I played Diplomacy back in the day. And it, it's very yeah. much, like, they really bring a lot of their strategy and thought process from Twilight Imperium into Diplomacy. Um, I've mm. always felt that Diplomacy has been is more of a, a game where alliances change and shift very quickly and very often. And more often than not, these guys would play, and ladies, there are a couple of the, the ladies that played as well, um, but they would make an alliance and stick to it for the entire game almost like <laughs> a, like a lot like there were a, there were a couple betrayals you know one or two yeah. per game but not not one or two per person per game like just one or two total per game which just blew my mind um, because when I played diplomacy uh, like my whole thing was getting alliances to change between myself and other players and other players and their alliances to change as often as possible um, right but yeah so that, that was super I just can't imagine how that worked
2: can't imagine how that works if if you're constantly betraying people you get to a point where you've betrayed everybody at the table at least once and
1: yeah no it's like i was i was a young and foolish player and if i would if i were to go back to diplomacy now i would definitely play it more like i do play ti than i did back then um i i've settled down and learned a lot since then um, but I think I think that wraps it up for Rada, Paul thanks for adding another 20 plus minutes with me
2: yeah. it's been fun I we could talk for hours and hours I got <laughs> all kinds of games I want to play and love to play but can never get people to the table
1: well hopefully some folks uh, on the TI Discord will be interested in playing some of that Imperial Imperial 2030. Game. yeah uh and maybe be we late. can get some more people into diplomacy or something like that um yeah it'd be awesome. Yeah. all right paul have a good night again and i'll talk to you yeah, later you too. Bye. the fire's nearly out and you probably need a refill thanks for listening from matt martins hunter donaldson and myself alec keeler i hope you had a cozy time and i'll see you again for the next one Thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music, which you can find more of at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com.